Well, hello there. It is great to be here today. Uh, Grace Greenbush, Grace Saratoga, my home campus, Grace Half Moon. What's up, guys? And of course, Grace Latham. Thanks for coming to church today. We are continuing our series called Bold Living in Turbulent Times. And I think the word turbulent is a pretty good description of, of what we're feeling right now, right? Uh, globally, uh, in our own country, uh, you have this last Thursday another terrorist attack in Barcelona. The weekend before it was the shameful, disgusting, entirely evil racism demonstrated by the white supremacists in Charlottesville. But you know, even in your own life, personally, there's probably turbulence. You're trying to balance everything as you take care of the kids. You have turbulence in your marriage. Uh, you, you have turbulence kids with, with your parents. You have turbulence in your heart as you try to move on from a recent tragedy or, or heartbreak. Listen, you and I, we know turbulence. But this series is about boldness. How to live out our faith boldly through the turbulence of everyday life. Today's message is entitled, Boldness Exudes Certainty That the Best is Yet to Come. And this attitude of boldness doesn't come from just natural optimism. It doesn't come from someone who's just that personality you know who's always walking around singing the happy song. Instead, true boldness comes from having an unbreakable foundation of spiritual confidence, even over death itself. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Confidence over death. Do you have confidence over death? Do you have that unbreakable foundation of confidence? Before Jesus, in my life, I didn't have an unbreakable foundation of confidence. I remember uh, as a student, a high school student, and back in 2002, I was sitting in the back seat of my friend's Cadillac, and I was high, and I was terrified. I was actually uh, so intoxicated that night that I was scared of dying. And the reason I was scared of dying is because I knew that if I died, I would have that moment of accountability with God. And I knew I didn't have to be persuaded that if I had that moment of accountability with God, it wasn't going to go well for me. I wasn't living the life that God wanted me to live, the life that God called me to live. So even though outwardly I seemed so uh, bold and so confident, inwardly my life was actually driven by fear. I, I was doing everything I could to soak up as much of, of life as I could because I was scared about how it would end or might, what might happen if, if it did. Maybe you could relate with that, no matter what age or life stage you're at. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you're older, whatever that, that means to you. <laughs> and, and, and you know how life works and, and that, that time and health begin to work against you at a certain point. And maybe the reality of death haunts you. Maybe you're younger, whatever that, 
means to you. And, and, and you know that death isn't just for older people, but death is for people. And, and, and you don't have that foundation of unbreakable confidence that you wish that you had. Maybe you're here today and you're already zoning out. You're, you're already daydreaming a little bit because you're thinking like, honestly, I got other things to think about than my philosophy of death right now. But then you leave service, someone runs a red light, and it's the only thing that matters. You see, as believers, we are made and saved to have confidence over death. We are made and saved to have confidence over death, not just so that we could feel better about ourselves, but because it radically changes how we live our lives day to day. We see this reality in the life of the Apostle Paul. Talk about boldness. Talk about a guy who epitomized boldness and passion. As what the young people, the, the way young people would put this is Paul was an absolute savage. He was a barbarian. What a risk taker. But you know that boldness didn't come just because Paul was a natural optimist. Because he was walking around singing the happy song. The boldness came because he had an unbreakable foundation of confidence, of spiritual confidence. So the question is, what made up that foundation, right? Like, what did he have? And how can we as believers have an unbreakable foundation of confidence, even confidence over death itself? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that we're studying today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives a few reasons why we can have confidence over death. First, Paul says, when believers die, we will receive a major upgrade. Paul says that when believers die, we can be confident over death because we will receive a major upgrade. Specifically, we will receive new bodies, resurrected bodies. He writes in verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. All right, Paul here is not talking about a literal house. All right, he's talking about the house for our soul, the body. And, and, and so Paul says that when we die and go to heaven, Okay, we're, he's implying here we're, we're not just a spirit floating in the sky. This is actually a very important part about biblical theology here to understand this. When we die, we're not just a spirit in the sky. We have a body. We have hands, feet, etc., but all made new. It's a resurrected body. And, and we see this example of Jesus when he died and rose from the dead. He, he gave us a glimpse of, of what that resurrected body uh, can look like. But I love what Paul does here. Because Paul shoots straight to worst case scenario. You know, one of my heroes, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, one of my heroes is Pastor Rex. If you think that's flattery, you just don't know, really know me quite yet, okay? So with that, let's have a little fun. You see, one of the things that I hear from Pastor Rex a lot that we get to hear is that he's a natural optimist, and so I'm glad he's leading our church, right? But how many of you would say that you're actually a, naturally a, a pessimist, more of a pessimist? Raise your hand if you are more of a natural pessimist. Okay, raise your hand if you think the person sitting next to you is a natural pessimist. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Now for those of you who just muttered something like, well, I, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. 
Well, we welcome you with open arms to Team Pessimism. Welcome to the squad. Listen, man, I dream big for God. Uh, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God wants to move through me, uh, my family, uh, our, our ministry, th this church, immeasurably more than what any of us could ask or imagine, okay? But naturally, I tend to think a lot about worst case scenarios. I, I like to plan for the worst. I I'd rather be surprised than disappointed. And so as a pessimist, I totally appreciate what Paul does here. He goes straight to worst case scenario. It's refreshing to me. Hey, there's room in the family of God for pessimists too, all right? And this is what he says. He says, for if we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, right? Worst case scenario. Hey, if I die, <laughs> we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So here's what Paul's saying. Hey, let's just think worst case scenario here for a second. If I die, if my earthly body, my earthly home for my soul is destroyed, my earthly tent, well, I'll go from an earthly tent to a heavenly building. Notice, notice the upgrade there. From something that's temporary to permanent. And, and he says, I'll go from having a body that's fashioned within the restrictions of humanity to having a body that's fashioned by the boundless powers of eternity. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade. So even in the worst scenario, Paul says, believers receive the best scenario. It's a major upgrade. When we as believers die, we will, be, we will experience the major upgrade of having new bodies, resurrected bodies. We will experience bodies of optimal health rather than bodies broken with weaknesses. There will be no cancer. There will be no disease. There will be no deformities. There will be no cavities. That excites you the most, huh? There will be no pain, migraines, or heart failure. There will be no sorrow. There will be no stress or anxiety, praise God. No fear, no guilt, no doubt. There will be no fatigue. We will not get sick. We will not age. We will not die. We will go from an earthly tent fashioned within the restrictions of humanity to a heavenly building resurrected and fashioned by the boundless powers of eternity. There are going to be a lot of upgrades in heaven. I feel like I'm just going to be walking around yelling, upgrade, upgrade, everywhere. And our recognition of the weaknesses and imperfections here on earth just points to a greater longing for the fullness and perfection to come in heaven. For example, our recognition of the need for truth and knowledge in our world points to a greater longing for the one who is perfect truth and perfect knowledge residing in heaven. Our recognition of flawed worldly love here points to a, a greater longing for perfect, unconditional, and heavenly love. The recognition of injustice in an imperfect world points to a greater longing for perfect justice in a perfect world. The recognition of relational disharmony, as we've seen so recently, in a world broken by pride, hate, and anger, points to a greater longing for a place where every race Culture, ethnicity, worships one God and is bound with love, unity, and perfect relational harmony. Man, that's going to be awesome. For believers, the recognition of our earthly imperfections and weaknesses points to a greater longing that only heaven could not only fulfill, but exceed. So listen, believers could be confident over death. Because when we die as believers, 
we receive a major upgrade in so many ways. But specifically here in this passage, Paul highlights the new body, the resurrected body. So we could have confidence. One, we receive as believers a major upgrade when we die. And two, as we live here on earth, we have received a down payment. God has put a down payment on us here in this life. His name is the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. When Paul says the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, he, he's talking about God has, has put within us those desires to be with him for eternity, those longings that we have to be with him, to recognize our flaws here on earth and desire fullness in heaven. God's put those desires in us. He's the one who's fashioned those desires in us, and we have it because we have his spirit. The Holy Spirit serves as God's deposit or another way to say it, as God's down payment on believers. For example, when you go looking for a home and you get serious about purchasing a home, you put a down payment on it, right? You give some of what you have now as a promise for what will come later. You take that home off the market. It's yours. Well, God is serious about you. He loves you, and on the cross, he paid the full price for you. And he's given you the Holy Spirit in this life now as a promise of the fullness to come in heaven later. The Holy Spirit serves as a reminder that you have been taken off the eternal market. You are no longer available. You have an eternal home with Jesus forever. Now here's the thing. Some of you hear that today, and even you, you diligent note takers who are my favorite listeners, you diligent note takers, you're writing that note, and, and you're, you're writing right now, I can be confident because I have the Holy Spirit. He's a down payment on my life. But somewhere inside, there's doubts. You, you begin to doubt. You, you begin to kind of think, like, well, I, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? I, I've been following Jesus for 23 years, but maybe I've been following the wrong guy. Maybe I've just been doing it all wrong. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I a Christian? When did I get saved? Listen, coming from a pessimist, that's pretty negative. So I could totally relate. Listen, when it comes to being confident over death, because of the Holy Spirit in our life, because he's a down payment, God's put a down payment on our life through the Holy Spirit, it's not about perfection and following the Holy Spirit. It's not about perfection and following the Holy Spirit. It's about possession and having the Holy Spirit. When it comes to having confidence over death, it's not about perfection and following the Holy Spirit. It's about possession and having the Holy Spirit. Our confidence doesn't come from how well we follow the Spirit. Oh gosh. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd never be confident. Our confidence comes from the fact that we believe we have the Holy Spirit. That's our confidence. The moment you first believed that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead, and you asked him to become your Lord, he gave you his spirit. There's no changing that. You could be confident of that. God has put a down payment on you and on me. And here's the great news. He can't take it back. Our eternity is set with him. 
So I'd encourage you to take a second, even now, in spite of your turbulence, despite your doubt, and say to God in faith, thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for claiming me as yours. Thank you for that guarantee. We could be confident over death because as believers, when we die, we receive a major upgrade. And we could be confident over death because here in this life, God has put a down payment on us, his Holy Spirit. But third, we could be confident as believers, we could be confident over death because when we die, we win our prize to be with Jesus. Paul writes in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says here, personally, guys, I would rather be away from my body. From the, the, I'd rather be away from my earthly body and in heaven with Jesus. One translation has Paul saying, I'd be content to die so that I could be in heaven. Not because earth is just so bad, although Paul had a lot of turbulence in his life, but because he just knew that heaven was that good. The reason being is because his prize is there. Elsewhere, Paul writes in a letter to the Philippians, he says this, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Paul gives imagery here. He gives imagery, uh, an analogy of, of the spiritual walk, our walk with Christ being like a race. And Paul says that the prize is Jesus. Listen, the prize in our pursuit, in our spiritual journey with Christ, our prize is not knowing things about Jesus. It's not doing things for Jesus. It's about pursuing an intimate and personal relationship with Christ. That's the prize. That's why we run. We run our race to know Christ personally. And you could be a preacher and get this wrong. You could be a pastor and get this wrong. You could be a minister uh, uh, for decades, a volunteer that you've been serving since you can remember, uh, a believer for a long, long time, and we could still mix this up. The prize is a personal relationship with Christ. That's the prize. So the prize isn't heaven. The prize is heaven word. You know what that means? That means the prize is in heaven. You know who's in heaven? Jesus. You know what's awesome? You go to heaven and Jesus is there. You know what's not awesome? You go to heaven and the angel tells you that Jesus actually lives in Vegas. That would be terrible. Wait, what? No, he's our prize. And we run our race to know him. First John says, when we, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I cannot wait for the moment where I no longer have to walk by faith, but I get to walk by sight. When I get to see Jesus, I don't have to believe that he's there, I see him. It's going to be amazing. And that's our prize. So when we die, we win. 
We win our prize. And so we could be confident. Man, I'm feeling right now kind of what Paul's saying. I'd rather get out of here personally. So I'm like all fired up. Sorry. I know, hon. We got two little boys at home. I'll stick around for a bit. Okay, so our prize is to know Christ. All right? And so we could be confident over death first because we'll be receiving major upgrades. Upgrade, upgrade. Two, because we have a down payment on us for this life. And third, because when we die as believers, we win our prize. So here's a few reasons that, that, that Paul lists, right? There's reasons that, that you go out there and something happens and, and, and you face death as a believer why you could be confident. But here's the thing. Those reasons won't give you any confidence over death. I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here, by the way. Those reasons won't give you or I any confidence over death. Knowing those reasons won't give you or I confidence over death, but believing them will. You see, the source of our confidence over death isn't knowledge, not rationale. It's faith. The source of our confidence is faith. Paul says in verse 7, he says, For we live by faith, not by sight. This faith thing gets me every time. Every time I read the stories of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the, the, the letters from his earliest followers, when, when Jesus talks to a sick person or a, a, a quote-unquote sinner, a, a, a Pharisee, his own family, his own disciples, every time it comes back to this faith thing. Like the guy is obsessed with the word faith. It's always about faith. Faith is believing in the promises of God. That's what faith is. And whenever Jesus talks about faith, there's an element of risk involved. One of the definitions of the word boldness is the willingness to take risks. And that's interesting because faith is risky. Faith causes us to live our lives banking on God's promises to be true. And risking looking like complete idiots if what God says is true actually isn't. For the sake of illustration, See this lovely chair stool thing over here. I've been wondering if I was ever going to chill out and take a seat. Listen, when I sit on this chair, I am, am banking on this chair to uphold its promise to me, right? That it'll hold me. And if it doesn't, it's going to hurt. There's an element of risk involved here, right? In the same way, Faith requires that we put our weight on the promises of God. So much so that if God's promises don't turn out to be true, it's going to hurt. You see, I'm trusting that when Jesus says he's the only way to salvation, he's telling the truth. I'm putting my weight on that. I, I trust that when Jesus says that he, he forgives me, I, I, well, I'm... I'm trusting that's true. I'm putting my weight on that. When, when he says he died on the cross for my sin, when he, when he says he gives me his perfection, when he says that he'll never leave me or forsake me, I'm banking on that. And I want to live my life in such a way that I look like a complete idiot if what Jesus says is true actually isn't. There's risk involved with faith got to put your weight on it. There's no such thing as safe faith. 
Faith is risky. Early on in my walk with Christ, I struggled a lot with confidence concerning my standing and and status with God. I remember one night as a college student, I was... uh, I was, I was watching an old rerun of a Billy Graham crusade, if you know what that is. And, and Billy Graham says, if you want to know if you're a Christian, read 1 John. So I was so desperate that I didn't just read the letter, I memorized it. But, but here's, here's the problem. My confidence actually went down as I began to memorize scripture. Because I read verses like, you know, I read verses like, uh, uh, if anyone claims to love God but hates their, their brother, you know, they're a liar. I'm like, oh no, I hate the guy down the dorm hall, you know? Like, that's, that's not good. And keep reading. It got worse. Like, John says, you know, we should love more and sin less. And I'm like, well, I sin more and love less. Is that a problem? I, I, my confidence went down. <laughs> but then I started, I started getting to... To, to verses like, uh, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his, atoning sacri- sent his son as a, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I remember one night in particular, I, I'm lying on my bed in, in college there at Moody Bible Institute, having this, this crisis, struggling to figure out what it means to put my weight onto the promises of God for my confidence. And, and, and I realized the verse that day is, is 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And I remember that night, it clicked. I realized I had been, I had been living my whole walk with Christ, my whole spiritual journey up to that point. All of my confidence was coming from my love for God rather than his love for me. So, so if my confidence is found in my, my weak inconsistent, and at times pathetic, to be honest, love for God, well, my confidence is going to be weak, inconsistent, and pathetic. But if my confidence is found in God's love for me, his infinite, flawless, his his perfect, faithful, unconditional love for me, well, that I can be confident in. And I had this huge paradigm shift I mean, it just went, it turned upside down. See, the source, the source of confidence for us is faith. That's the source of our confidence. The source of our confidence is faith. If it's found in anything else, it's weak, it's inconsistent, it's shallow. I don't know what's gonna, uh, what my last moments here on earth will be. I have no idea what it will look like. Hopefully my health doesn't decline as fast as my hairline. But I promise you, I promise you, that if I'm competent, my last moments here on earth, if I have the ability to think or speak, this is what I'll be thinking or saying, And so I know and rely on the love that God has for me. And so I know and I rely on the love that God has for me. And so I know and I rely, I put my weight, my life upon the love that God has for me. Because if my confidence in that moment, that moment of truth there, 
is found in me and my obedience for God, it's going to be shot. The source of confidence is faith. We could have confidence over death because we don't just know the reasons why we could be confident over death. It's because we believe the reasons, putting our weight on it. We're throwing our lives upon those promises. And you know what happens when we do that? When we throw our weight on the promises of God, when we find our confidence there, you know what happens? Well, what happens is we are fired up to go obey God. The result of our confidence is obedience. You see, the source of our confidence is faith. That's the, right? The source of our confidence is faith. But the result of our confidence over death is to live a life with heartfelt obedience. That's the result. The result of confidence over death is to live a life of heartfelt obedience. Let me put it this way. Uh, uh, Paul, let me put it this way that Paul puts it first, and then I'll add my commentary, okay? Paul says this. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body, here on earth or in heaven. We are motivated to obey God. You see, the sequence goes like this. Faith leads to confidence leads to obedience. You see, faith is believing in the promises of God. Confidence is putting our weight on those promises of God, choosing to find our confidence in those promises of God. And obedience is living out our faith as a result of that confidence. Faith, believing in the promises of God. Confidence, throwing our weight, our lives onto the promise of God. And then obedience, living out our faith as a result of the confidence that we have in the promises of God. Sometimes I mix this, mix this up. Sometimes, sometimes still today in my life, 2017, sometimes I still get this out of order. And I, I base my confidence off my obedience and that backfires, right? Because my obedience is weak and inconsistent and sometimes just pathetic. And so if I'm basing my confidence off that, well, that's how my confidence will be as well. But if I'm throwing my weight onto the promises of God, that I can always be confident in. And I'm fired up to obey him. Having confidence in God's promises for us as believers concerning death, having confidence in God's promises for us, throwing our weight on God's promises for us concerning death, fuels us with motivation to live out our days with heartfelt obedience. It, it fires me up. Rather than instill a, a, an attitude of fear, it, it instills me with, with fuel, motivation, to go live a life with maximum obedience for Christ. Plenty of you uh, probably don't know this, but my career at Grace Fellowship Church, um, specifically student ministries, began essentially, in a hospital room. Uh, one morning, uh, December 2nd, 2012, I, I get a phone call. I'm standing in the church lobby at, at Grace Half Moon, our campus at Grace Half Moon. And, and, and I'm told to, to get down to the hospital now because the day before, something tragic happened. It's what's known pretty well in this area as the Shin Shaker car accident. 
And, and what happened was, was there's, there's four students driving back um, from a, a Siena basketball game, and, and they were close to home, and, and they're hit by a drunk driver. Two students died, uh, Deanna Rivers and Chris Stewart. Two students survived, Matt Hardy, Bailey Wynn, both with, with crippling injuries at the time. And so I get a phone call to go down and, and to, to see Matt Hardy. I met Matt just for a few minutes. At, we, we had only had a couple services of our student ministries at that point, and I met him a little at a pizza meet and greet thing. This would be really our first meeting. I remember walking through the hospital and, and, and seeing the grief and seeing the shock and seeing the fear in people's eyes. At this point, we, we didn't know what, uh, with any certainty what Matt's fate would be. And I, I turn to the hospital room and I see Matt all casted up and bandaged up and things around him, things poking in him and just a high school guy. And with his neck locked up and his eyes to the ceiling, he senses me coming into the room and he, he kind of whispers, will you pray for me? And what a journey that was. And if Matt or his family were, were here today, they, they, they'd tell you if they're attending a location this weekend, they, they'd vouch that that journey will never end, right? It will always be a part of their life. And, and that tragedy got the attention of our community, undoubtedly, and even national attention. But as a student ministries pastor, I, I gotta tell you, I'll never forget how many young people, how many hearts that that tragedy captured from our young people. You see, many of our students realized that there is a lie being believed. And the lie is this, the lie is that we're all promised to live a long time. But our students chose not to believe that lie anymore. They wanted two things. One, they wanted to be confident about where they were going to go when they died. And secondly, they wanted to make the most out of their lives, realizing that tomorrow's not promised to them. At Grace Half Moon, our student ministries is called Primetime. Our high school ministry, pardon me, is called Primetime. And we have a slogan that says, when every moment matters. And it's not just a slogan, it's the truth. You see, we encourage our students to live out their faith in Jesus with enthusiasm and urgency because tomorrow's not promised, so we gotta make the most out of today. We need to reach our schools today. We need to serve our community today. We need to invite someone to church today. We could think about tomorrow, we could plan for tomorrow, but tomorrow's not promised, so we gotta make the most out of today. We tell our students not to believe the half-truth, that they're merely the future of the church, Grace Fellowship, please hear me from the bottom of my heart. Students are not merely the future of the church. Students are the church. They are the church. In fact, from what I see from scripture, I could be wrong, but it seems that Jesus spends a lot more time telling older people to have faith like younger people than he does telling younger people to have faith like older people. And here's why. Because he wants all people, all ages, all stages of life to live out our faith with heartfelt obedience, with enthusiasm, with urgency, knowing that tomorrow's not promised, and that we have confidence over death so we can live our lives here on earth with heartfelt obedience. 
Do you have that sense of purpose in your life? Do you have this sense of mission in your life? This enthusiasm, this urgency, if you're a believer here sitting today? Maybe you've been beaten up by the turbulence. Maybe you're worn down. Maybe you're thinking about throwing in the towel. Listen, in my study of 2 Corinthians, in preparation for this talk, I noticed something I never really noticed before. I noticed that Paul got pretty beat up. And, and not just like physically, that's obvious. <laughs> but I mean emotionally and spiritually. At, at one point in 2 Corinthians, early on, he says, Paul says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. We despaired of life itself. That's kind of intense. Maybe that's where you're at today. You, you see what's on the news. You, you, you see Charlottesville. You, you, you see the state of our, of our country. You see what's going on in the world, and you're, just be, you're discouraged. You're, you're scared. You're, you're worried. You're angry. You're hurt. Maybe just in your own personal life. You're just beat up by turbulence. And so you lack that urgency, you lack that passion. But how did Paul go from someone who despaired of life itself to the Paul that we know, right? The, who's a guy who is so bold and passionate, such a game changer for Jesus. What, what like, was the link there? Well, look what he says in the next verse. After sharing his, his vulnerability, he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. You see, Paul believed that there was purpose in the turbulence. He believed there was purpose in the turbulence. Listen, there is purpose in your turbulence today. There's purpose. Every moment matters because every moment is allowed by God, ordained by God, and is filled with purpose from God. And here's our purpose as believers. Here's our purpose. Being confident that death brings us from earth to heaven motivates us each day to bring heaven to earth. Believers being confident that death brings us from earth to heaven motivates us each day to bring heaven to earth. That's our purpose. Our purpose as believers is to bring heaven to earth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus through turbulent times like today, to be love, to be peace, to be joy, to be comfort, to defend the weak, to care for the needy, to be what only the church can be, because what would this world be without the church in it? Maybe you've been listening to this message, you're still hanging on, you're still there, and you think to yourself, I don't have confidence over death at all, man. It, honestly, if I walked out of here and something happened, I would be just as scared as when I came in. I don't have any confidence over death. Well, here's the thing. You could have an unbreakable foundation of confidence today if you're willing to put your weight on the promises of Jesus. Are you willing to put your weight on it? To accept the risk? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? That he rose from the dead? And do you want to spend not just eternity with them, but life with them? If so, you could sing with us today, oh death, where is your sting? Because the pain that was once eternal for you has now become earthly. And your purpose that was once earthly has now become eternal. Believers being confident that death brings us from earth to heaven motivates us each day to bring heaven 
to earth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that there's purpose in the turbulence. Thank you, Lord, that you have conquered death and that you have given us the ability to have absolute confidence, an unbreakable foundation of confidence concerning death. God, I ask that you would remove any spirit of fear in us, but you would fill us with fuel to bring heaven to earth. Father, empower us to be world changers, to be the church that you've called us, you've made us, you've saved us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.